Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Today is Pentecost Sunday. And I'm not going to be digging too much into the actual events of Pentecost, but I want, to, I want us to bring home and front and center this morning the love of God and the person of the love of God and all the principles of the love of God that we can draw from that. Concerning the day of Pentecost, Jesus said this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, speaking to His disciples just before His ascension, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There was a clear intention in what Jesus said that this wonderful gift of God's Holy Spirit coming upon His people was meant for purpose. Amen? There's a purpose to it. It's not just so that we can know that we are special or loved or that we can have these wonderful gifts It is a divine enablement given to those whose hearts are locked into and set upon the kingdom of God, enabling us to live kingdom life. Not a natural life, kingdom life. Remember, we've been speaking over the past few weeks, and one of the the phrases that we've been using is that um, that when, when God moves, He doesn't do supernatural things because supernatural things are very natural to Him. And so this expression and manifestation of the Holy Spirit brings us into a realm of supernatural experience, which ought to be very natural in the life of the believer. And what it is enabled, it enables us effectively and with power to share God's love. Would you say power? How good is your blender when ESCOM is doing its thing? No power? No smoothie. How good is that heater when ESCOM is doing its thing? You say to me, Michael, I have a gas heater. I am on spirit power. And I say to you, amen, brother and sister, go with that. Without power, without the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I cannot function as we were designed to function. We're like a blender plugged in, but all we can, <laughs> you can bash it. You can use it to, to bash the, the, the fruit and the ice and the yogurt down. You can try and make a smoothie by force, and I think so often so much of our Christian lives are like that. <laughs> trying to just do things, trying to make it happen, trying to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish, but we're doing it by force, and we're getting bruised, we're getting hurt, we're getting damaged in the process. And not only that, we're damaging potentially other people as well. No, no, no. God has empowered us by His Spirit to share His wondrous love. And this is what the message of the gospel is. It's God loves you. God loves you. He so loved you that He sent His only Son to die to pay the price for your sin so that it could be forgiven because God wants intimate relationship with you. That's the message of the gospel. Very simply. And we've been speaking over the past couple of weeks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which are wonderful. But while the manifestations of the Spirit are great and they are powerful, 
It is good to remember that they have, that they have a purpose. The purpose of the gifts is not to flow in the gifts. Let me make that statement again, because so often we want to go after these things. The purpose of spiritual gifts is not so that we can flow in spiritual gifts. And we can start comparing notes. I've got this one, and this one, and this one, and I'm working on this one right here. No. The purpose of flowing in the spiritual gifts is so that we can be a conduit of the very power and the love of God to somebody else and into their situation to demonstrate the wondrous power of God's love. The purpose of the gifts is to break down walls and barriers. You know, Jesus said, I have given you the keys of the kingdom, therefore go in my name. He says, on this revelation that he is the Lord, the Son of God, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. Gates are what keep things out. Right? You've got gates outside your house. You don't put the gates there to keep yourself in. You don't put burglar bars because you're worried you might sleepwalk and go out that way. You put burglar bars and electric fences and alarm systems and perimeter beams and walls and gates and locks and padlocks and chains in place to keep bad things out, right? Now, the kingdom of the enemy works the same way. He wants to keep the kingdom of God out. You see, when Satan took territory here, the Bible tells us that he is the Lord of this world. Amen? And he has established principalities and powers within it that influence people. Just look at the ideologies and the agendas that are being pushed this day, these days. I saw a very funny meme this week about a little boy who was in a spelling bee. And he had to, they said, okay, the next word you have to spell is woman. And he said, woman. Could you define that, please? I digress. (laughs) There are ideologies and there are principalities and powers that have set up walls that require supernatural power to break them down. That's why Paul writes and he says, our weapons are not carnal. You're not going to win this through an argument. You're not going to beat people into submission. But they are mighty. Say mighty. Mighty for the pulling down of strongholds and the taking captive of that which is not of God and bringing it into captivity and then releasing and speaking freedom and liberty in the, through, the, through the kingdom and the power of the kingdom of God. This is what the gifts of the Holy Spirit help us to do. That's the purpose of them, to break down the power of sickness and disease and release healing, to break down the power of unbelief so that faith can come in, to break down the power of ignorance. Hosea 4 verse 6 says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. They suffer for a lack of knowledge. They are poor and deprived for a lack of knowledge. They are sick and impoverished for a lack of knowledge. The Bible also tells us that the enemy, our enemy, has blinded the hearts and minds of the people. And so power is needed to break through So a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge comes which cuts right through the natural intellect and the the, 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 uh, strongholds that are set and established. And that's what the power of the Spirit can do. And that's what the power of the Spirit can do through you and through me. No fanfare required. No quiver in the liver Just individuals who have been filled with the love 
of God, who have themselves been so set free by the power of that love in the person of the Holy Spirit, so that in flowing with Him, they are able to bring others into that freedom and into that liberty. It's very simple. It really needs to be that simple. You see, folks, we can talk about the gifts in the Spirit, and I'm all for them. I long for us to enter into them in a deeper measure. I long for us to see them, but the motive is the most important thing. Why? You know, it's very interesting when you read the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, he opens a subject and he really goes into depth and he lays out the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 14, he goes into it some more and he talks, you know, I wish you all spoke in tongues. He who prays in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So when you come together, you know, prophesy over one another, and he's telling them how to do it in orderly business. But right slap bang in the middle of this chapter about the spiritual gifts and another chapter about the spiritual gifts is the chapter on love. And Paul doesn't sort of change tack, go down a rabbit warren and come back again. They're all linked. They all flow together. And this is what he says though in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I become a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am Nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. So I can do all of these things and have the gift of the Spirit. And that's really, in essence, what Paul is trying to address in his letter to the Corinthians. You guys have missed the point. You have these one. We don't have another example as extravagant in terms of the gifts of the Spirit being in operation as we do in this divided, jaded church in Corinth. But Paul says to them, you are missing the point. You can even go back to the chapter before he starts talking about these gifts, and it's the chapter on communion. And he says, you know what? Concerning your guys' gatherings, I do not praise you. You guys are making a mess. You've made it all about the flair and all the stuff. And you know what, folks? We can fall into that trap. And I have seen ministers and ministries and churches that are so set on the gifts and just pursuing the gifts for the sake of the gifts so that we can say we have them, and they get led down all kinds of wrong paths. Yes, we are to desire the gifts, but what are we to pursue? Let's carry on. Let's just read the whole portion. He starts talking about love. And you can... You can understand and think about love as we have in terms of the way we live our lives and the motivation from which we move, but you can also yoke the love of God with the gifts of the Spirit. So if you think of what we're about to read now concerning love, add the gifts into that and how they would operate, right? Love suffers long as is kind. It doesn't envy and it does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. is not provoked. And it thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. Love never fails. You know, you can give somebody a prophetic word. 
You can give somebody a word of knowledge, and it, won't, it might not work. It might have absolutely no impact in their life. You can pray for somebody to be healed and have them miraculously healed, and yet it doesn't change their heart one iota. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes you pray for people that don't get healed and their heart is completely transformed towards God. <laughs> we don't understand all of these things. There's no mathematical formula for them. But the one thing that is constant is that people know when they are loved. You see, I come out of a, a church many, many years ago that did not teach on the things of the Holy Spirit. They, in fact, taught against the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. But you know what? In that church, I was loved, and I knew it. They had a huge impact in my spiritual upbringing. Granted, they also gave me some baggage I had to deal with later on. But I was loved. That made all the difference, didn't it? I wouldn't be here today probably if it wasn't for them. Paul goes on to say, love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which has come, uh, that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. So in other words, we worship God according to what we know, but we don't know it all. We haven't got this all down. We have these gifts. We don't completely understand how they work, why they work. We, we don't have it all, but we have this picture, and we have this idea of God's love, and this, we have this, this experience of the love of Jesus Christ at work within our lives. And one day, when He comes again, we will understand it all. We will get it. We'll go, oh, how dim and thick was I all along. If only I had known. But that time is not yet. We still have to pursue and, and work within the mystery. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child and I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. What's the difference here, folks? Listen, we have many childish believers. What do I mean by that? A child is primarily and predominantly concerned with itself. That is the definition of immaturity. Someone who is concerned primarily with themselves. You know, you know the definition, that, that definition of, of, of how possession works with a toddler. If I see it, it's mine. If I have it, it's mine. If you have it, it's mine. If I want it, it's mine. If you say I can't have it, it's mine. If I found it, it's mine. If you found it, it's mine. If it's broken, it's yours. It's all about me. And people like that constantly need others to feed them, to care for them, because they're immature. And Paul is saying, there was a time that I was like that. And folks, when we come into the kingdom, it doesn't matter how old we are. We all come in as spiritual babes. We, we're very proud and arrogant. We think we know some things because, no, no, no. There's a journey to be had. There's a... There's a, there's a testing to be had, a testing to prove your faith, to prove your faithfulness, to prove that your, your, your resolve towards God is genuine. And as we grow, this becomes our experience. You know, we need to grow in the love of God. In the beginning, the love of God is something that is for us, and it is shed abroad in our hearts so that we may know that we are loved. Isn't that what we endeavor more than anything to impart to our children? You are loved. 
But there comes a time as well where that love needs to come to maturity in me. And I can't just expect myself to be the only object of it 24-7. It's the old adage that this entire world, this whole entire world with its trillions of people, apart from one very small exception, is made up of others. That should tell us something about the focus we ought to have. Let me carry on and finish this portion so we can move on. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now in part, but then I shall be known. Uh, I shall know just as I am also known. And now abides faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. So the very next chapter he starts and he says, So therefore, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. It's very interesting here, folks. He doesn't say pursue spiritual gifts and desire love. The gifts of the Spirit are one of the manifestations of God's love. And that's what I want you to understand this morning. This is what I want to communicate to you this morning. If we make it about anything else, we, are, we can very, very easily pervert the whole thing. It's not about power. It's not about results. It's about love. It's about love, knowing God's love. Pentecost, that day of Pentecost, is first and foremost God's love poured out. Folks, God's love is an active love. It's not a passive love. God does not stand aloof from us, but He pursues our heart. He gives His Son. He gives His Spirit to us every day. It's a love that reaches out. It endures and it empowers. It's a love that is experiential and it is expressive. So we believe in a triune God. Amen? Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. In other words, I am the picture of what the Father looks like. Look at my life. Look what I do. Look at how I lay myself down and I love you. That is the picture of what the Father is like. The Father looks like the Son and the Son looks like the Father. But there's also the Holy Spirit who sometimes in our mind and estimation we kind of shove to the corner. He is the very same expression of love. Listen, 1 John 4.16 says this, We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in His love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. The Holy Spirit that indwells you is the very it's the essence of God's love. You know, when I make pancakes for my kids, I use vanilla essence. That stuff is strong, yo. You just a smell and vanilla, just and just a little, just a couple of drops, and it's kind of what the Holy Spirit is like. It's the essence of God's love. The very essence of God's love. The evidence that we are filled with and know this love is that we are led by it. We are motivated, inspired, and empowered by it. We are able, or at the very least, learning to express it. I want to read this sentence to you again. The evidence that we are filled with and know this love in the person of the Holy Spirit is that we are led by it. We are motivated, inspired, empowered by this love, by this person of the Holy Spirit, and are able, or at the very least, learning to express it. Many years, Pastor Andreas said something that really shifted my thinking and made me reevaluate some of the ways uh, I consider spiritual, spirituality and spiritual gifts. He said, the evidence of somebody who has received the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that they live, are empowered to live a life of love. You see, 
we look for things like speaking in tongues. The Corinthians could speak in tongues, but their love life was a complete mess. We look for manifestations and quivers and big things. You know what? Living the God kind of love is not humanly possible. Because intrinsically and deep within each and every single one of us, we are selfish. The human heart is deceitful above all things, the Bible says. And so even when we say we're doing something for them, how often is that tainted and polluted by self-indulgence or you know, wanting to feel good about ourselves or look what I accomplished, look what I did. But the ability to live a life that is truly sacrificed and laid down and that the power of that love is manifest and clearly evident in somebody, there's power behind that. It's more than just a natural thing. So I want to read to you a prayer that Paul prays over the church in Ephesus concerning this love. And I'm yoking this morning. Look, I've yoked before together the blessing of God and the Holy Spirit of God. That where the Spirit of God is, there the blessing of God is. So if you go right from the beginning of creation, you go to the Garden of Eden, God blessed them. His Spirit was over them. When God's Spirit, and when, when, when God's Spirit is absent, His blessing is absent. Right? And you could do the same thing to a measure with the love of God because the Holy Spirit is God. It is love. Pure, unadulterated essence, love. Not doesn't have love, it is love. It is the spirit of love, it is the power of love at work. And this is what Paul prays. He says in Ephesians uh, chapter 3, from verse, uh, the end part of verse 17, and I'm reading from the Amplified here, you'll have the King James up there. It says that you, having been deeply rooted and securely grounded in love, be fully capable of comprehending with all the saints, that's God's people, the width and length and height and depth of His love to fully experience that amazing, endless love that you may come to know practically through personal experience the love of Christ which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience, that you may be filled up through your being to all the fullness of God so that you may have the richest experience of God's presence in your lives, completely filled and flooded with God Himself. Now, that's properly amplified. That's that's a, a serious mouthful. But Paul is praying a prayer here. And I want to, as I was meditating on this, what does this practically mean and look like for you and me? Does height, depth, length, breadth... What does that mean? It's, it's trying to convey a size of something. But, you know, a size, to measure size, it always has to be relative to something else. Right? Size is a relative thing. So how do we practically begin to think of the love of God so that we can measure ourselves against it or or, or in some way begin to get our hearts and minds around the greatness of His love? And I'll put it down to four questions. Number one, how far are you willing to go? How wide are you willing to open your heart to someone else? How high are you willing to climb? How deep are you willing to sink? And I have based this squarely on the life of Jesus. How far is He willing to go? All the way to the cross. All the way. All the way. To lay His life down completely. How wide was He willing to open His heart to everyone? Even those who crucified Him. Even to the man 
on the cross beside him who deserved judgment and what he was receiving, even he was welcomed into paradise. Jesus opened his heart to everyone, everyone, regardless of culture, skin color, personal identification, regardless, everyone. How low are you willing to sink? Jesus not only humbled himself and became a man, but having become a man, he humbled himself to be crucified by his own creation. And even having been crucified, he humbled himself and went down to the very depths of hell to go and leave our sin down there. There was no depth beyond the depths that Jesus was prepared to go for you and I. And how high are you willing to climb? Jesus climbed into the very presence of God to intercede for you and me. He went right up into the presence of God to intercede for you and for me. And he took with him the offering of his own blood, his own life laid down. So when we talk about the love of God, how do we understand the height, the depth, the length, and the breadth? These questions help us search our heart and go, how far am I willing to go for that person in my family, for that friend of mine who I've known for years, who I love, who I say I love, but I've never told them about the love of Jesus? How high am I prepared to go in prayer? How long am I prepared to intercede? Am I willing to fast? Am I willing to press in for their salvation? How much am I willing to humble myself to serve their needs, to inconvenience myself for their sake so that they may know practically and experience the love of God? And how wide am I willing to open my heart to them? When I try and love them and they reject me, will I, find this, will I say, well, okay, fine, if that's the way you want it? Or am I willing, in the same way the Spirit of God is, to persevere, to continue with a love that is patient, with a love that is kind, with a love that does not behave rudely, that does not behave, is not puffed up, is not provoked and thinks no evil, that does not rejoice in iniquity, that rejoices in the truth, that bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things? Am I willing to be that? by the power of this blessed Holy Spirit who already loves that person infinitely more than I can imagine. You see, when we begin to catch His heart, there is a flow that we come into that enables us to be and to see, not according to our natural understanding or estimation, but according to the greatness of His love, which is way beyond yours and mine. Who is it that brought Jesus up from the depths of hell? It was the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit. It was the one who is called your and my helper, our paraclete, the one, our advocate, the one who is called alongside to help us. And he will because he is the, the, the essence of love. A few weeks ago, I'm quoting Pastor Andreas again. He made a statement that really has stuck with me. He said, the main reason we do not readily share the message of the gospel, in other words, the message of God's unconditional love, is either because we have never truly experienced its power or because we have lost sight of its power. That's the reason. That is the reason we are so often locked in apathy because we have either never truly experienced the full greatness of God's love and power in our own lives, or because maybe we did at one point, but we've lost sight of it. 
I will never forget so many years ago. I, I don't have a timeline on these things. I'm not somebody who generally records dates. My life was changed and transformed by a revelation of how much God loved me. Because I was trapped in a cycle of guilt and shame. I'd feel good and my relationship with God would be good while I was doing well. But if I sinned and I fell short, I would feel guilty. Especially when I sinned deliberately. I can forgive myself for accidents. But when I was deliberately sinful, I would go into this downward spiral of guilt and shame and not want to draw near to God and feel he would probably want nothing to do because I messed up again. And I'll never forget the day that God threw a verse, a portion of Scripture in Romans chapter 8, which says, what can separate us from the love of God? And God dropped into my heart, Michael, even that's not going to separate you from my love. There is nothing that can separate you from my love. So I call you to repent and come back. Confess your sin. Psst, I already know about it. Don't think I'd be surprised. And what that did was set me free from that cycle. That again and again, the ups and the downs, the ups and the downs, the ups and the downs, to know that I am a loved child of God no matter what. That doesn't mean he condones everything. That doesn't mean I always please him. But it means that I always have access to the Father through Jesus Christ and his forgiveness. That incredible love, the incredible love of God is what motivates and ought to motivate you and I to share this blessed gospel with other people. Not a sense of duty, not a preacher standing behind the pulpit and telling you, you need to be good Christians and you have to go and tell six people this week, because there's six days before I see you again, six people about the love of Jesus. And you have to do this and you have to do that. And you must do this and you must. If it's not coming from love, it's like spiritual gifts without love, people. But here's the question I have for you today. And I will, I will not accept no as an answer. Is there somebody in your life who does not know Jesus, who you know, that does not know Jesus, who you love? Is there somebody who you love that does not know Jesus? And all I'm asking you is for one person. Is there somebody in your life that you love that does not know Jesus? I, I, I do not believe any of us can say no. Then I'm going to say, go find someone. <laughs> do you love Jesus? No. I've been looking for you. And I want you to pray for them and love them. Don't just start doing something. You know, Jesus said something very interesting. When he's praying for his disciples towards the end of his, you know, when he's closing out his ministry with them, he says these words to the Father. For their sake, I have sanctified myself. For their sake, I have sanctified myself. For their sake, I have set myself apart to love them and to teach them and to pour myself into them. And that's all I'm, that, this is what I'm just sensing the Spirit of God is saying and breathing over us as a fellowship in this time and season. God is calling us to focus again on the wondrous power of His love. Love never fails. That's what it said, right? So how are you going to love that person? And that's why I say to you, begin praying. There are some people I've been praying for for years, and I, 
I don't do it every single day, but multiple days in the week, I pray for them. I pray for their salvation. I pray that they will come to know the love of God. And let me tell you something. Some of those are by all natural intents and purposes never going to come to Jesus. They have properly rejected everything to do with faith. But yet love never fails. So I haven't pushed them out of my life. I maintain contact. I maintain prayer. And Siobhan laughs at me because there's a couple of friends of mine that I call them my pre-saved friends. They're saved. They just don't know it yet. (laughs) I'm praying for them. Because if they do not know the love of God, and I see the struggles that they have, not only will they not experience a life worth living, a life marked by love and value, but they will go into an eternity of eternal suffering as a result of their choice, not as a result of God's punishment. God is not a vindictive God saying, well, fine, if that's the way you want it, I'll show you. God has given every opportunity for every one of us to come to Him and to know and experience that love and to be saved, first and foremost, from ourselves. I don't know about you. My biggest problem was not being saved from the devil or from some harsh situation. I needed to be saved from myself. And I still pray that often. Lord, please, save me from me. You know where my mind's going to go. You know what my sense of humor is like. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. Well, love, the the, the others are all facets of the love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. All of these depict the, the, the nature of God's love. It is full of joy over you. Listen, God sings over you. I want you to know that. That is a beautiful thought, isn't it? I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord. It says, You are my workmanship. You are my poem. You are my love poem. I created you in love, and I sing over you, and I rejoice over you. Don't believe it? Just look at Chris on a Sunday morning. He knows it. But then we also have the gifts of the Spirit, and these are demonstrations, folks, not just of God's power. These are demonstrations of God's love because they do something that communicates love. They set free. They break open. They break through. They break into. And folks, this is important stuff. This is why we need them. Because there are things you and I can never break through or break into just by our intellect, by good preaching, or by good deeds. Power is required. Amen? And God has filled us with that power. And this is why love never fails, because it is powerful. We sang a song this morning, by the power of your love. The love of God is powerful. Paul says that the message of the gospel, in other words, the message that God loves you, is the very power of God unto salvation. It's amazing stuff. So the gifts of the Spirit are demonstrations of God's love, meeting or speaking into the needs of His beloved people, and they demonstrate what He sees, that He sees. Not what He sees, that He sees. You know, you speak to some people, Robin Williams, great example. Very funny guy. Famous guy. Very lonely man. Jim Carrey, not long ago, came and says, you know, I wish God would answer everybody's prayers so that everybody would realize... He said, I wish everybody could have everything they ever wanted 
so that they would realize that when they have it, they're still not satisfied, that that's not truly what is needed. These are men who have had it all. They've had fame. They've had resources. They could have anything they wanted, and yet deeply lonely. One of the things that the gifts of the Holy Spirit does, one of the things that love does, is it says, I see you. I see you. You matter. Sometimes, even in a crowded room, we feel alone, unseen. And just because somebody is loud, like me, just because I can get attention by a sneeze, doesn't mean that I feel seen, noticed. (laughs) That's certainly not something I want attention for. It is amazing what can flow out of you when you let love flow. It is amazing what the Holy Spirit can do through you if you are willing to follow and let Him flow. And it's very simple, folks. It's not about the fireworks. It's not about the glitz and the glam. Let me close off reading to you from the message translation, Ephesians 1.23. It says, The church is Christ's body in which He speaks and acts, by which He fills everything with His presence. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.